Hi, my name is Jim Shaddix. Uh, it's my privilege uh, to serve as Associate Director of the Southeastern uh, Center for Pastoral Leadership and Preaching and also uh, Coordinator of the Equip Network. And it's a joy for us uh, to do some segments like we're going to do today, is have some conversations like we're going to have uh, just uh, things related to uh, pastoral ministry and local church leadership. We call this an authenticity series uh, because it's uh, hopefully an authentic look at the life of a pastor and his leadership and those who he works with. And uh, so we've produced a number of resources that are available on our website uh, to speak into that, very practical issues ranging from Lord's Supper to baptism to things like we're going to be talking about today, and that is the church uh, and uh, the, the pastor and money, uh, which can be a very uh, tenuous subject. Uh, we had a previous session uh, that we dealt with the personal finances of the minister. That's available on the website. Uh, today, uh, we're going to uh, talk about church finances a little bit. And I am privileged uh, to have uh, back with me uh, as part of this uh, conversation some real experts in this field uh, that you're going to have the opportunity to hear from. Art Rayner, as uh, Vice President for Institutional Advancement here at Southeastern. Uh, this brother has extensive experience in local church ministry, staff ministry, uh, and uh, brings a lot of wisdom that has been very helpful uh, to me in this subject. To my immediate left here, Ryan Hutchinson is Executive Vice President for Operations here at Southeastern. Uh, Ryan teaches uh, courses on church finance and the minister's finance, does a lot of consulting. Uh, but I want to tell you, my greatest appreciation for these brothers is that they're churchmen, and uh, they they live where pastors live, where uh, elder boards live, where deacon bodies live, and they, they, they speak into those and they speak into them with, with great wisdom. So guys, thank you so much for, uh, uh, for being a part of this. Uh, I want us to maybe divide this into three segments today and, uh, and, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll chase one of them down and then take a little break and then come back and chase another one down. And the first area I'd like to jump into uh, really is this the whole issue of budget. When we're talking about uh, church finances, there's nothing more glaring uh, than the fact that we live by budgets, we live, uh, we live uh, according to budgets, uh, and we're responsible for helping to develop uh, budgets in local churches. Uh, and, and maybe there, there's nothing that uh, creates more angst in the life of a pastor uh, and other church leaders than you know, that process every year when we're, we're going down that journey. Uh, so let's just start off and just talk about some big picture um, things related to, to budget. What are the issues that need to be uh, on the table and kept in mind when we're thinking about budgets? Ryan, I'll start with you. Sure. I think really, Jim, the first thing with budgets is there's in a lot of churches a divorce between the budgeting process and what the church is doing from a ministry perspective. Well, now you're going to you're going to start off by not only bringing the, the tough subject of finance, but you're going to bring divorce into this. Is that's that right? right? That's right. That's right. Uh, it's, it's a strong word, but that's actually what happens. It's almost like there's this big line where the pastoral staff is over here deciding what's going on from a ministry perspective, and you've got a finance committee or some other group that's over here that's uh, working and developing the budget, and the two never really meet. Uh, you might have some staff that submit budgets, but it might be related to a 
youth ministry trip or something like that, but not really big major strategic items that the church is, is, is trying to work us on or, or work on and orient the church towards. Uh, and this is not a saying original uh, to me. It's one that I use all the time, and it's one of those situations where I've used it so much I really don't remember actually who originally said it. Uh, but uh, a church's budget should simply be their, uh, their ministry plan expressed in dollars and cents. Uh, so in other words, you should be able to take a church's budget and line it up with what their ministry goals are and see where those two meet in the middle versus, well, we have ministry goals over here and then we have this budget over here kind of a situation. And so I think that's the, before you solve anything operationally, uh, before you deal with, well, whose responsibility is to do what and that, it's got, you've got to go into it as a church with that kind of a mindset. I, I want to get you to chase down one aspect of that a little bit when you're talking about the ref, it being a reflection of the church's ministry. So, you know, w which comes first? Do we budget and then we plan ministry around it, or do we plan ministry and vision and then budget accordingly? Uh, it, it's a back and forth process, uh, but I think you've got to start with your ministry plan first. If you don't start with your ministry plan, you're never going to have the ability to set a larger vision for your church and the direction of where your church wants to go because then everything is limited by, well, what, what money do we have to be able to do it? Now, you might come up with a grand plan and then you work through the details of what that's going to cost and you realize, you know what, that's just not feasible right now, but it's better to start with the plan then bring the budget to bear on the process versus necessarily starting with a hard wall that you're going to run into and you can't get past. Art, big picture things. What comes to your mind when you think about uh, the whole budget issue? Well, I completely agree with, with Ryan here. A budget is simply a, it's simply a plan. It's a plan on how you're going to do ministry throughout the, throughout the year. It should be a reflection of the vision and mission of, of, of the church. Um, I think too often because you're dealing with finances, um, you can also um, put too much of a, a faith-based emphasis on, on, on the budget, especially as you're um, planning out how much you anticipate coming in with your, with your tithes and, and, and your offerings. Um, that seems to be a pretty big issue. I had a, a conversation with a, with a pastor here in, in North Carolina and he came to me and presented a, a budget, uh, or what he wanted the budget to, to, to be. And I looked at it, and I looked at a, this three-year trend, and it did not line up at all. In fact, it was well over what he should anticipate um, bringing in for this upcoming budget year. And I, I told him, I said, I don't think that this is going to happen. This isn't going to be feasible. He said, well, I believe that, and it's always hard to argue against this, I believe that God is telling me to do this. And so I, I said, well, here's what I see from a financial standpoint, from a wisdom standpoint. Um, take, do with it what, what you will. A couple months later, he knocks on my door. Hey, Art, um, we're behind. And we need, to make some, we need to make some decisions. Can you go to our church and explain to them what we need to do? And of course I said, no. I can't, I can't, can't do that. You're the pastor. So I see that happen on a regular basis. That tends to be an, an issue, um, especially I would say among some, some of the smaller churches. It's interesting you brought that up. I, I came from here from a class in which we were talking about how we throw around the phrase, God told me this mm -hmm. or told me that. And the, you know, the tension that is there, you've articulated it very well, but uh, you know, one of the, and I don't want to chase that down too far, but you, you, 
you said it, uh, and that is, you know, ultimately God takes the hit, you know, on that. Okay, we got to go explain to the people why God's not coming through on what he told us to do and promised us. So we need to be very, very careful with that. And, and of course, there's incredible amount of biblical teaching on you know counting the cost before you going in go into something uh you know pre- planning preparing having wisdom you know getting people to speak into that so i appreciate that you mentioned the the small church i I'd, I'd, I'd like to to kind of explore that a little bit i think a lot of times we do have conversations like this and because all three of us have been in churches that are multi-staff churches or larger churches there's lots of people you know around the table um, I, I've also been in churches, I know you guys have too, that, and you're the only guy there, or there's only one guy there, uh, and you're working with a volunteer finance committee. I remember one of my first churches, uh, you know, one of the guys that collected the offering every Sunday, he emptied the offering plate into his pocket, and he took it home and counted it, and he brought back, and that, that's the way it was done, you know, and, and, and that's, I think that's reality for a lot of places. What what about that small church, uh, you know, that, that single staff church? Uh, what are some things a pastor needs to be aware of and be thinking about when he's working with just completely a volunteer base in his congregation? I think the, thing, the key thing to keep in mind, whether you're large or small, but especially in that small setting where you're, you're dealing with um, uh, people who aren't working for you, uh, is that you've got to realize as you are their pastor, you are their shepherd, you've got to be their shepherd in everything, not just certain things, not just, well, how do you deal with your Bible intake or how do you deal with your evangelism? You've got to be their shepherd in all kinds of areas, including shepherding them on how we are a, an effective church, how we should you know, do things in an above-board manner, how we should make sure that we're thinking about the ministry plans that are associated with it. Um, and, and really, when you think about it in the Ephesians 4 model, uh, and following that Ephesians 4 model, where it's not on this paid professional staff uh, to figure ministry out, but it's the job of those shepherds to equip those and train those who are in the pew for them to do the work of the ministry. And again, the work of the ministry there is not limited to uh, the evangelism project or the outreach project or the youth retreat or uh, uh, the pancake breakfast or whatever it is, but some of that work of the ministry is the administration that goes on in a local church. And so you have to equip them and help shepherd them just as much in that area as you do in the other areas. And I would also say when um, a pastor takes the, takes a, a, the role of pastor of a church, um, he, he becomes the he is responsible for the finances in that if anything goes wrong whether it's from a paid position or whether it's a volunteer uh, position it it comes back to him right so he's ultimately responsible for it just like uh, you know you hate to use the the term ceo of a, of a company um, but he is ultimately responsible for the decisions and the the workings of the the, the church even if it's with a volunteer position who's handling finances or mishandling finances and so he will be held accountable for their, their actions. And so he needs to, to be involved in the process and make sure that everything's done um, at a very high standard, whether it's a small church, medium-sized church, or large church. You, you've taken us in, you know, Art, to this area of the role of the pastor in there. Let's, let's chase that down just a little bit more. 
I'm hearing you say the pastor ought to be a part of the budget uh, development process and navigating that. Um, how important is that? Well, going back to what a budget is, it's a plan. It's a plan to do, to do ministry. It's a plan to, um, it's a tool to help the mission, the vision of, of the church. And so the, the pastor being um, the, the leader of that church, obviously, um, is, is integral in making sure that that tool is facilitating the, the mission as it, as it should be. So he should be very involved. And I, I always like to use the, the, the term CRO, Chief Reminding Officer. Um, as it relates to the, to the vision and mission of the church, he should be constantly communicating what we're supposed to be doing as a church. And that includes to the finance committee or to however, whatever financial structure is there so that when they're looking at, at the budget, they're thinking, okay, this is what our church is supposed to be doing. Let's make sure that when we're putting this budget together, that it reflects what we're hearing from the staff. Hutch, uh, should these church leaders communicate finances to the congregation, keep them apprised um, about that relationship? Absolutely. Um, I think there's two mistakes that can happen in that particular area. One is... Uh, communicating in such a way that it just becomes noise in the background. Uh, and that is, for instance, a lot of churches, what they'll do is, well, we print the budget information in our bulletin every single week. Um, well, it's just a section on the bulletin. You have a few that are going to want to pay attention to it and look at it. But for the vast majority of the people, it's just it just becomes noise, and they just look over it. And so you're really not communicating at that point in time. Um, uh, it's... Uh, George Bernard Shaw made the, uh, the statement one time that the single biggest illusion um, in communication is the fact that uh, people think it happened. <laughs> and, uh, and so you, you, you think, well, I, I printed it, they'll know what it is. Uh, but again, they're just not going to become familiar. So I think you have that, uh, that place where it just becomes noise. And then you go to the other side uh, where it's rarely, it's just once a year, you throw some budget numbers out in front of them, and they have no idea what the church is doing, or it comes time, things get behind, and so you result to the giving message uh, to try to encourage, you know, uh, for giving to be up that week. And so the pastors, uh, in whatever team he's working with, if it's a volunteer finance committee or a professional staff, have, have constantly got to be in a mode of making sure, are the people understanding this? Um, and so it should be something that's communicated, because it is a, one of the measures of the health of a church. Um, because if a church isn't a giving church and a church isn't meeting their obligations, then you've got a sign that there's something unhealthy going on within that church. You know, I, I remember my mentor until we were talking about well, that specific conversation about elder leadership and, you know, different things, you know, should the church vote on this, you know, or should those decisions be made just within an elder board? And I remember the one thing that he identified, he told me, he said, you know, he said, if you're going to ask a church to be giving toward and operating under a multi-million dollar budget every year, you better give them an opportunity to speak into it, you know. So the financial aspect was one of those things. One last question, and then we'll take a break and maybe move on to a different subject. Art, you deal in this world every day, I know, with institutional advancement. In the local church, should a church have debt? Uh, if, if, if so, you know, how do you navigate that? If not, why not? You know. Should a church have debt? Um, I feel like there's not a right answer to that question. Because if I say yes, then it's, you need to go out and get debt. I think that the question should be, can a church have debt? Right? And so um, 
the, the Bible warns us, obviously, about the dangers of, of debt. Um, I use that term warn, though. It doesn't prohibit. It warns us. Um, and so I would say that when a church takes on debt, to, to answer your question, yes, a church can have debt, but it must be very wise in how it takes on its debt. There's several different um, ratios, metrics that you, can, that you can look at to determine whether or not you're taking on too much debt. Um, if a church takes on debt, usually it's for a building project. And to that, I would say, make sure that the building project is to facilitate existing ministry and not create new ministry. So if a church wants to um, build a, let's say, a life center where there's a gym and a fitness center and a, a pool and make sure that there's already a ministry in existence that that would help accelerate. Um, so I, I'd be wise, even though I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you should go build a, a, a life center, um, but make sure it facilitates existing ministry and doesn't try to create new ministry that you don't know whether or not it will be successful, whether it's going to actually um, reach people in, in, your, in your community. Um, as far as how much debt to, to take on, I know that's a question that's, uh, that's on the top of pastors' minds. Um, usually, you, I, I, I'm a little bit conservative with, with this. Usually, you don't want to go beyond um, two to three times your, your annual budget, taking on that amount, amount of debt. I like to err on the, the two times as opposed to three times. Um, I would really suggest holding off if you need to go beyond the th three times your, your annual budget. It might, now might not be the time to, to take on a loan. Ryan, anything you'd add to that? Uh, yeah, again, just to stress the wisdom component of it is sometimes it's the easy route to take. Uh, just immediately turn to go uh, do it before you've really challenged your people to think through, one, is this the right solution for us to go into this debt? Or have the people really done what they can from a commitment standpoint to plan for that? And some of it is because of uh, a little bit of the tyranny of the urgent. You, you come up with this solution and we've got to do this now versus, you know what, okay, we might have a plan and let's as a church pray through this for a while and figure out. And that doesn't mean that you don't end up taking out debt uh, for a particular project. You know, if you're you know, exploding at the seams, uh, you know, sometimes that's the only solution you've got. Uh, from addressing it uh, uh, even if you're in multiple services already to be able to deal with the space that's there. But again, a church needs to go into that with eyes wide open, prayed through that uh, um, intently, knowing that the church knows what they're committing to and what they're going into to, to be able to do it. And I'll just uh, throw in one, one more piece there. It, often when you're um, presenting debt to the church, you'll inevitably you, you get somebody to stand up. Says absolutely not. A church should not have any any type of debt. And here's as you as you work with with that person. Here's what I would just keep them back in mind. They probably had some type of bad experience with debt. They were on the end that the Bible warns us to be about. They uh, maybe took out too much for for a home and they weren't able to afford it or. Um, suddenly 2008 happened and they were um, underwater on, on, on their mortgage or maybe a, an auto loan went, went, went bad. So they, they've had, they probably had a bad experience with, with loans. So I would say handle them gently. Understand that typically where they're coming from is it's, there's a personal experience there that's driving 
driving their desire for the church not to have debt, and which, is a, which is a good desire, by the way. Um, I, I, debt, to me, should be a last resort. This is something that, that we have to do to facilitate this ministry that's already existing. Guys, very helpful counsel. Thank you so much. Let's take a little break. I want us to come back and, and delve into the issue of compensation a little bit. Welcome back uh, to a discussion on uh, the minister and money. We're talking specifically about church uh, finances right now. And this is part of uh, just uh, an authentic life at the look of uh, authentic look at the life of a pastor. Excuse me, Uh, guys, we've talked about budgets. Uh, We've talked about compensation for staff members. Certainly there's a relationship between those two things. Uh, Let's talk for a few minutes in this last segment just about stewardship, uh, about about giving. Um, How how do we encourage pastors to to navigate the areas of of shepherding their people to sacrificial giving, greater giving, giving for the to the right re, for the right reasons the motivations that type of thing what kind of things come to mind Ryan we'll start with you uh, quit being scared talk talking about it number one and uh, don't make it the annual sermon stewardship sermon and that's the only time it gets addressed second um, <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 8 uh, Paul when he's talking to the church in Corinth and he's talking about uh, he, he lists a few spiritual disciplines there in, in verse 7. Uh, that they're supposed to grow in and uh, the the topic that he's talking about there is uh, specifically related to an offering that they're taking up for the saints in jerusalem but i think there's some principles of giving that are within those two chapters that are helpful and when he lists uh faith and speech and love these things that you're growing on uh, growing in he says excel in this act of grace also Um, and what he's what this act of grace that he's talking about is giving specifically what he's talking about. And so giving is something that is we challenge church in their faithfulness and their walk of evangelism and Bible intake and all these other kinds of things. Uh, giving is one of those areas that they should be challenged in, not for the sake of, well, that you're just the money-grubbing pastor who <clears throat> wants to make more money or wants to build a bigger building or things along those lines, but it's a response in that section of what it is that Christ has done for us in giving. If we're stingy for giving and giving, then we are, in essence, throwing back in the face of Christ the sacrifice that he made for us, who was rich and became poor uh, for our sakes. Which is the which is the the theological basis for why Paul is is calling them to you know to do that. Our, yeah. Well, the, and Ryan hit on it. There's there's real reasons why pastors are afraid to talk about giving or to preach on giving. One is that they they just don't want to be lumped into that that group that abuses that particular power. And so um, we do see a small group of pastors that um, that will abuse their position for financial gain, and they don't want to be grouped into that um, or categorized as one of those. So they're fearful of that. Um, they're also fearful of being perceived as asking for money that will impact them, that will affect them directly, like they're, they're trying to gain more um, from, from them. And so there, there's real reasons why, why pastors avoid the topic of, of finance. But as I talk to, to church members, what I always say is you, you shouldn't be concerned when your pastor talks about money. You should be concerned if he doesn't talk about money because it's, it's so prevalent throughout the Bible. 
you know, the Bible constantly talks about how, how we're supposed to manage our finances or what we're supposed to, how we're supposed to steward our, our resources and how we're not supposed to be hoarder, hoarders, but conduits through which his generosity um, flows through. And so um, I, I would be concerned if I had a, a pastor that's not talking about money. And so pastors need not to be afraid of it, but um, pursue it and, uh, and discuss it in a, in a very biblical manner. That's that, that, that's great. I, you know, one of the um, values that we have here at Southeastern is expository preaching. Uh, you know, we believe that ought to be the bread and butter of a pastor's ministry. And I know in my own experience and observation, one of the benefits of, of, of expository preaching, especially systematic exposition, you know, uh, working through books or extended portions of Scripture is that you're you're accountable then to dealing with certain subjects you might otherwise avoid and also you protect yourself from being accused of just picking out your pet peeves so on both ends of the spectrum and you you made the observation that the Bible talked a lot about money I think when a pastor is preaching expositionally he's going to find himself addressing that subject on, on a healthy routine, a healthy basis, and people being able to see it in the context of their, their greater growth in Christ. Um, practically, um, you know, collecting the offering, uh, online giving, um, you know, I, what, what are you guys fans of, not fans of in, in local churches uh, as far as how we go about uh, receiving our offerings from people? One of the biggest mistakes that churches make is they think that the way that something is done now is the way that it's always been done throughout church history. Uh, and so this concept of an offering plate being passed as a part of the liturgy in the middle of a worship service is actually fairly new to church history. Uh, even in American church history, in a lot of senses, you had a collection box that was in the back that as people either came in or left, that's where they put their offering. And it wasn't a part of necessarily the service itself uh, to do. And so uh, when you start messing with that offering, uh, the error that people have is they start thinking that you're dealing with something that Scripture says that we're supposed to do. And it's, that's not there. Giving is obviously something we're supposed to do. It's not there. So that happens in a local church? Yeah, you know, sometimes they can get confused in that way. Um, even pastors can get confused in that way at times. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is is don't get caught up on on the form. You know, people will say, you know, you brought the issue of online giving. Uh, people will say, well, you know, it, it removes the act of worship out of it. No, no it doesn't. Um, you know, they said it can it can become uh, it, it can become just this rote act that you do. Guess what? The person taking the envelope that they get mailed from the church that they stick their check in that can become just as much of a rote act as the online giving option that's there. Uh, just like you have to guard yourself from that just becoming a reflex action, you have to guard yourself that with the online giving. So I don't, I don't see any kind of an issue at all with online giving. One of the, the, the challenges that I've heard pastors face now with online giving is that because they give online, the pastor gives online, the congregation no longer sees them giving. And so it, they, get, they get concerned that they're not, um, they're not, living out what the, the people are not seeing them live out what they're, what they're preaching. And so what I would encourage to those pastors, and this is something that, uh, that we, we, we actually did in West Palm Beach is that our pastors would say, Hey, I give online. And so that's another way to, to give. So at the time of the offering, if the pastor's up there, um, talking, uh, just say, you know, one of the ways that I give is through, through online giving. So let the congregation know 
that they are giving and that it is through the, the, the online system that they, that they have in place. And likewise, I just add to that, likewise, likewise with uh, you as a parent uh, and your kids, there, there is somebody could say the value of your, your child on a regular basis seeing you put something in that offering plate or even in the back that's there. Again, that doesn't necessarily say that it's wrong to do it from the online perspective. And if you're going to do it that way, make sure that your kids know that, that your kids aren't seeing an offering plate go by and you just never put anything in it. And they just think, well, this is just who my, you know, that my dad never did it, you know, so it's not there. And so make sure that your kids are involved in that conversation of mom and dad give. This is how we do it. This is how we make decisions about our giving, things along those lines. I, I remember one, just one of those, you know, pro simple but yet profoundly impacting conversations in my own life, you know, was with my dad over there, godly Christian parents, so grateful for him. I remember asking him the question one time, um, you know, I saw other friends at school and some of them got new cars and, you know, they are drove nicer cars. And I remember sitting down with my dad one time and just asking him, you know, my dad was the president, I mean, the superintendent of schools, you know, and I, I said, you know, dad, you seem to have a better job than some of their dads do. How do they do this? You know, how do they have it? And I, and I remember him taking out a piece of paper and he wrote down a figure and he, he slid it across the table he said, Jim, this is the amount of money that your mother and I put in the offering plate every, every month, you know, uh, to, to give to the church. He said, if we didn't do that, we could probably buy a nicer car, you know, than we do. And that had a big impact on me. Uh, and it, 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 it really leads to another issue. Um, you know, what, what about this issue of tithing? You know, just from a, a, a biblical theological standpoint, its relationship with, with giving, uh, we, we started talking about budget, you know, supporting the budget. Where does that fit in? Does it fit in? Again, another interesting history tidbit from the, the church. Uh, in the Protestant church, uh, the topic of tithing uh, did not become a regularly talked about topic uh, until the turn of the uh, 20th century. Uh, it was made most popular by a man who wrote a book. His name was Henry Lansdale, who wrote a book called The Sacred Tent. You can actually go to Google Books and you can download it. This book was circulated to uh, a lot of pastors within America, especially. Uh, and this is what really emphasized the concept of tithing. Until then, the Protestant church actually rejected the concept of talking about a 10% tithe because that's what the Catholic church required of their people. And so there was even a rejection of talking about that in those terms. And so again, from a history standpoint, it's actually more recent history that this, this topic of 10% giving has become this kind of standard way of us talk about, talking about giving. Uh, there's a, there's a, a healthy aspect to it in the sense that it gives somebody a target. Uh, there's an unhealthy aspect to it in that it gives somebody a ceiling. Um, and so what needs to happen, I think, in the church of this is, is understand, well, they say, well, the Bible says that, that you are to uh, give a tenth. Well, if you think that that's all God, even, even from an Old Testament perspective, if you think that that's all God asked from his people, then you have missed what the Old Testament teaches about giving. Uh, God required much more. Plus, in, in a, a theocracy kind of a situation in which Israel found itself, 
that 10% number was an amount that was given to the church for the operation of the church. That was basically an entire uh, economic system, government economic system that occurred within the nation of Israel as to how it is that they were able to operate. Uh, and so one of the things, and I used to say this all the time, I remember growing up if I ever got invited to uh, say the offering, uh, the prayer before the offering uh, at church, uh, this line that uh, is, I think, really, really theologically incorrect, we would stand up and say, you know, God, you've only asked for, uh, from us a small portion of what you've given us. No, actually, God asked for everything from you not just a small portion. Your finances aren't like this cordoned off area over here that God only asks for this little tiny portion from. He actually wants all of your finances as well to be used for his glory. Um, and so I think it's actually unhealthy for a church to talk about that. And the hard part is, is people then go, what do I give? You just took my 10% 10, 10 number away from me. One, very few people actually give 10%. Even if they use the lip service of tithe, they really actually rarely give the 10%. Um, and that's where you get into terms of let's talk about what sacrificial giving looks like because quite honestly 10% is not sacrificial giving All right designated monies uh, People sometimes Give uh, whether they're tithing or not sometimes they give and they want their money to go to a particular Ministry in the church or for a particular cause and so uh, they designate that uh, those are muddy waters sometimes for churches, for trustee boards, finance committees. Um, how, how would you guys help us with that? Well, one of the, the questions that you'll, you'll hear pastors ask is, do I have to take these designated funds? And there's an assumption that if somebody gives something to the church that you immediately have to, to accept it. Um, if, if the funds are designated, you do not have to accept those funds. If you do, what you're agreeing to do is to spend those monies according to, the, to that person's wishes. So if they designate towards the children's ministry, which there's nothing wrong um, with children's ministry, but if they do that, you are committing to spending it on children's ministry and not, not nothing else. And so um, if you're taking designated funds, first of all, you want to make sure that it aligns with what um, the, the mission, the, the, the vision of, of, of the church. If it does not, um, then you have the, the right to, to reject it and say, no, this doesn't really fit um, with what we're, what we're trying to do. And I can't tell you that this, I can't promise you that we're going to spend it in this way. So there's a legal obligation for you to spend the money in the way that you, if you accept it in the way that they, they designate. So in short, the answer is no, you don't, you don't always have to accept designated funds. Yeah, it, with, with that, and keep in mind too, there's a lot with the American tax system that drives those particular issues. So if you're listening to this and you're a house church over in, uh, in uh, China, these things, same things don't apply in those kinds of situations. Um, and so it's really driven, driven by that. I was actually was a part of a church uh, in my recent history uh, in, involved in leadership at that church uh, where we actually, an estate gift came and we actually rejected it and sent it back because it was designated for something that the church did not currently do, we were not interested in doing. And so we just actually took that check and sent it right back to the estate at that point in time and didn't, didn't accept it at all. Um, and I had lunch <clears throat> with a gentleman recently who told me about a church that he uh, grew up in that has $100,000 sitting in a, uh, a designated account for a gym. The church has no desire to build a gym, but this guy gives to this fund on a regular basis, and the church continues to accept it. 
well, this is just going to cause all kinds of problems down the road uh, for the church not dealing with that on the front end. Essentially, if I'm, I'm hearing both of you correctly at this point, um, to, to accept designated monies that are contrary to the direction and the vision of the church, which we assume, going back to the beginning, the budget was built on, then uh, puts the church at risk of allowing certain people and sometimes certain people with agendas to really drive what the church does and control that, maybe even take it in a different direction than it, it, it's planning to go. So. Yeah, absolutely. But that's where a church, a pastor needs to be really, really, really adept at dealing with some of the personalities that can be in a church because that pastor can take a hard stance on that. And if there's a finance committee involved or something along those lines that has a different viewpoint on this, it can kind of cause all, uh, all kinds of issues at that point in time. And so it's definitely one of those things that you have to navigate those waters with a lot of, lot of wisdom. So related to that, um, is sometimes people designate monies and they do fit within, you know, the vision or something. Uh, what, any, any problems, issues there? Uh, we're, we're not saying that we should never accept those designated monies, right? Oh, absolutely. There, there's a time and a place for, for designated funds. Um, at the same time, I, I would make sure that that church member is also giving to what I call the general fund. Um, you you want to make sure that they're not designating because they do not trust how the, how the money is, is spent. So you may need to have a conversation with that member if you're constantly seeing designated funds, um, but not necessarily funds that are given to the, to the general fund there may be an issue of trust there. So you may want to may want to have a conversation with them. And one thing, Jim, I'd add to this that a lot of churches don't know that can happen, especially older churches that have been around for a while and uh, they have church members who have died and have left endowments for the church. Uh, and let's say that that purpose no longer exists anymore. Um, uh, we had a, uh, the church that I was a part of, we had a chapel in the church. That chapel no longer exists, it's now a welcome center. Well, the purpose of those funds were to maintain that chapel. Well, technically, as it is right now, the church can't use those funds for any other purpose other than maintaining the chapel. So the funds just sit there. You're, you're not handcuffed at that point in time of a church. Most states have adopted something, the short name of it is called a MIFA. It stands for the Uniform Principal Management, or Management of Institutional Funds Act, uh, which is a big, long name that was attached to a piece of legislation. And, passed by the federal government for the states to be able to adopt, and each state has adopted, might have changed, most all states have adopted it, not all of them have, uh, to change some things. But a church actually has the ability, if somebody has died, and so you cannot go to that person anymore to change the designation. You cannot go to their family. In other words, if you can't go to their kids and say, we want to use this for something different. It has to be the person that gave the gift. So your only option at that point in time is, there are certain recourses that you can take as a church voting and saying, we want to have these funds released from their designation. And there's a certain process that you can go through uh, with the attorney general's office in your local state to actually get those funds released from their designation if that particular purpose no longer exists.